Welcome to the Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com. I want us to pray and pray for Joshua Rushing. Our worship pastor is going to come and bring God's word to us today. So would you welcome Joshua as he comes and we're going to pray for him. Father, we thank you for Joshua. We thank you for the anointing on his life and the calling on his life. Father, we ask that you would speak to us through the word that you have for us today. And we pray for your impactful anointing to transform us by the power of your grace. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning, Calvary. Oh, man, I've got a lot to cover today, and I'm so excited to... uh, to share this word with you guys. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Chronicles 12. 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32. And when you get there, put your finger there and turn to Matthew 24. 1 Chronicles 12, 32, and Matthew 24, 33. I'm going to read these verses, and then we'll get going. 1 Chronicles 12, 32. It says, The sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel should do. In Matthew 24, 33, So you also, when you see all of these things, know that he, Jesus, is near at the doors. I titled this sermon, Understanding and Responding to the Signs of the Times. I don't know if any of you guys have noticed, and we can even just have a little show of hands here. Has anybody noticed over the last three or four months anything different going on in the world? I mean, a couple of you, a couple of you, just you're just on cruise control, you're going, but I mean, there's a few things that's been, it's been kind of funky around here, you know, just a few months ago, we were all just kind of on cruise control, just kind of doing life, you know, the world was normal, whatever normal is, and then within the span of just a few months, we have nations trembling, economies are hemorrhaging, people are, are, are at each other and fighting, I mean, just within a couple of months, we had 75% of the world's population on some sort of lockdown. That's unbelievable. I mean, crisis like this is not new. We've had world wars. We've had had pandemics. We've had other crises. But the global impact and how quick this thing came up is very rare. So what do we make of all of that? That's the question we're going to Uh, hope to answer this morning. What do we make of all of this turmoil, all of this crisis, all of this pressure uh, in our world today? The church today should be helping people walk in the midst of this pressure, helping people walk in understanding, peace, wisdom, clarity, faith, and power. But We cannot give what we don't have, right? The church, the body of Christ on the earth, we should be the ones that are helping make sense of all of this pressure. But if we don't have understanding, if we don't have wisdom, if we're not walking in peace, how can we help others walk in those things? And honestly, if you listen to many believers today, and if you're on social media for more than a half a second, I think you would agree with me, there's not a whole lot of peace and unity 
in the body of Christ. I'm not talking about the world as a whole right now. In the body of Christ, there's, there, and I'm not saying there's none, but there seems to be very little peace, understanding, and true wisdom and how to make sense of these pressures. So what we're going to talk about today are four drivers of pressure in our lives. There are four main drivers, things that, things that drive pressure in the world. We're going to look at four of them. And here's the reason I, I thought this message was so important. Because what we understand as the source of the pressure dictates our response. Yeah? A couple of you are out there this morning. Our understanding of the crisis determines our response. So if we don't understand the crisis, we're going to go, we don't know how to respond. What do we do? And there was a group of people in the Old Testament in our first passage there in 1 Chronicles called the sons of Issachar. And the Bible says that they understood the signs of their times and what to do. It's one thing for us to understand what's going on. It's a totally, completely different thing to know how to respond in that hour. The sons of Issachar, they also lived in a very dynamic time, much like we do. They lived in a time of suspension and great uncertainty in Israel. They lived in a time between the evil and demonic ruler Saul and God's anointed shepherd, David. Now, Saul was king, but the favor of the Lord was not on Saul at this time. Saul was tormented by demons, and he was raging against David and all of those who were loyal to David. So he had Saul, the king. God's favor was on Saul at the beginning. God's favor lifted. Saul was tormented by demons, and he was seeking to kill and murder the anointed, the, the, the one that Samuel had now anointed as king, and all of those who were loyal to David, Saul was out with his bands of guys trying to murder people. This was a really, really interesting time in Israel. You had some groups that were loyal to Saul. He was the king after all, right? What happens if you're not loyal to the king? Especially if the king's demonic and loves to kill people. Yeah, you get killed, right? So there were a lot of people who were loyal to Saul, a lot of people who were afraid not to be loyal to Saul. But then you had uh, another, other people in Israel who were going, but David, he's been anointed as the next king. He's our guy. He's God's guy. But I've got this king over here. And so there was so much turmoil going on, national turmoil in those days. Now Saul would eventually die in battle. And at this point in the story, in 1 Chronicles 12, David had not yet been established as king over all of Israel. So now, talk about suspension. Saul's dead. Uh-oh, what do we do? Who's our king? Well, David's been anointed king, but he hasn't been yet kind of coronated as the king over all of Israel. And so this was really, really interesting times. Some people were saying, hey, do we align ourselves with this house of Saul? you know, the one whose hand was raised against God and his anointed king, or do we align ourselves with a shepherd warrior, David, the one who's after God's own heart? And then we get to the sons of Issachar. The sons of Issachar is about 200 uh, chiefs of the tribe of Issachar, and they were among those who aligned themselves with David. They had insight into what God was doing in the land 
and they knew that they should pursue and partner with and follow King David. We're told in 1 Chronicles 12 that these sons of Issachar, in fact, if you look at 1 Chronicles 12, 23, just back up uh, a few verses. 1 Chronicles 12, 23, it says that these sons of Issachar, along with others, were equipped for war. They came to David, and they wanted to turn the kingdom of Saul over to David. We see that in verse 23. Now these were the numbers of the divisions that were equipped for war. They came to David to turn over the kingdom of Saul to him, according to the word of the Lord. I believe the Lord is calling us as a people, both Calvary and the church as a whole, to walk as the sons of Issachar. To walk in an hour of uncertainty, to walk in an hour of significant pressure, to say, we have understanding, we understand the signs of the times, and we know how to respond. And part of that also, what we see in verse 23, is that they were ready for war. They were ready to defend. They were ready to defend their king. They also had a pursuing heart. They came to David. David didn't have to seek them out and convince them to to give him their allegiance. They sought out their king. They had a pursuing heart, and they wanted to turn over the kingdom of this demonic Saul to David. This is a prophetic picture, I believe, of the end-time church. Revelation eleven fifteen. beautiful passage. It says, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. See, the end-time church, we are going to, to partner with the Lord to turn over the kingdom of the world, to turn it over to the Lord. And I believe the Lord is raising up this end-time church with a heart like the men of Issachar. The Holy Spirit is calling his church in this season to make fresh eye contact with the Father in this hour, to stand to hear his voice and to ready the nations to respond to his leadership. But the kingdoms of this world right now are plotting against the Lord, right? Psalm 2 tells us that's going to happen. It says, the kings of the earth plot vain things. And the kingdoms of this world are right now preparing the earth for the coming of the Antichrist, I believe. Now, that doesn't mean he's coming tomorrow or even in my lifetime, but the things that, the, that the, the kings of this earth are plotting are paving our way, are making our way, are setting the stage for this antichrist and this antichrist spirit. The false Messiah will set his hand against the body of Christ, and even especially the Jewish people, we're told in Matthew 24. However, the praying prophetic church The church who has a heart like the sons of Issachar will partner with Jesus to release judgment upon the Antichrist and his kingdom. And we will turn over the earth to the leadership of the shepherd, King Jesus. So the story of Saul and David, it is a prophetic picture. Demonic king, God's anointed shepherd king, and there's a a rift, there's a battle, there's uh, there's pressure People are not sure who to align with, but these sons of Issachar said, we know who to align with, and we know how to pursue our king and turn over the kingdom to the shepherd king. 
So there's two phrases that we hear about the sons of Issachar. They understood the signs of the times and how to respond. So we're going to look at four drivers of crisis. These are four things that help us make sense of our times. What's going on? Because again, if we don't understand where the pressure is coming from, if we don't understand what's driving the crisis, we're not going to know how to respond. Let me go ahead and list the four, and then we'll look at them each one at a time. The four main drivers of pressure or crisis. Number one is Satan's rage. Number two is God's discipline. Number three is man's sin. And four is earth's groan. Again, if we do not understand the drivers of pressure, we will not know how to respond. And so these four things, I believe, are important for us to understand, to grow in wisdom. Number one, Satan's rage. One source of pressure is the enemy. This is the one that we're probably most familiar with and even most comfortable saying and admitting and speaking about. Satan's rage. Satan's agenda is to steal and to kill and what? To steal, kill, and destroy. His wrath is kindled against the Lord and his church. The enemy wants to disrupt and disturb and ultimately destroy the cherished bride of Christ. Satan's pressures can take many forms. When Satan is the one driving the crisis, when Satan is the one driving the pressure, it can take many forms. It can look like sickness or war or death, disease, strife, theft, injustice, even global pandemics, just to name a few. So Satan is trying to disturb. He's trying to disrupt and destroy everything because that's what he does. He's, he, he's hate. He, he's a destroyer. He's a thief. And so many times we experience pressure in our life, and the, the first thing we normally go to is this is attack of the enemy, right? And guess what? That's what he does. And so what do we do when the enemy attacks? We resist. When the enemy is driving the pressure, when Satan rages, the response of the church is to resist. We get that James 4, 7. It's very simply put, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So when Satan is raging, our response is to resist. In the face of Satan's anger, we must rise up. The body of Christ must rise up and take our place of authority in the Spirit. What does that look like? Well, it looks like many things. Worship, like this morning, was re- we were resisting the devil. We were actively in resistance mode. And even when we're singing the lovey-dovey, fluffy love songs to Jesus, that's still resisting the devil. That's actually warfare. And we've talked about that many times here. I mean, there are examples all through the Scripture. One of my favorite is with Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is surrounded by armies. He seeks the Lord. What do we do? The Lord says, put your artsy-fartsy worship team out front of the trained warriors. And he's like, that's a bad idea. There's real swords and real arrows. And you want me to put the artsy guys up there? He goes, yeah, just put the artsy worship team up front and let me handle the rest. And he goes, okay. The Bible actually records the song that they sang during the battle. You know what it was? For the Lord is good and his mercy is endures forever. 
They weren't singing, God's going to stomp my enemy's face. They were singing love songs. Oh, you're so good. Oh, your mercy is forever and ever. And the Lord sent an ambush and wipes out the enemy. When we sing, when we worship, we're actively resisting the devil. Prayer. When we pray, when we decree, when we come into agreement with God's heart, prayer, we're pushing back the darkness and releasing light into the spirit realm. Prayer is a way that we resist the devil. Another way we resist is just simply declaring truth. Satan is a liar, right? And so what do we do when Satan's rage and begins to, to lie and to sow deceit? We just declare truth. Another way we actively resist the devil is by simply acting in the opposite spirit. Now, that's hard on social media for some of us. So when we're tempted to backbite and we're tempted to snark and we're tempted to, to, to speak ill of one another, we say, wait a minute, that's what the enemy wants me to do. And if I'm going to resist the enemy, like the Bible says, I'm just going to act in the opposite way. I'm going to show kindness. I'm going to speak mercy. So one of the drivers of pressure is Satan's rage. And when Satan rages, we resist. Number two, there's another source or driver of pressure in our lives, and it's God's discipline. Let me, let me just say this. Not every pressure you experience in your life is attack of the enemy. Sometimes it's God. Sometimes it's God trying to get your attention. Sometimes it's God trying to stir some things up in you. Sometimes it's God trying to wake you up a little bit. It's really easy when things happen to us to automatically just say, well, this is the devil, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. What if the source behind that particular pressure is Jesus? How are you going to rebuke him in his own name? He's like, you're rebuking me in the name of me? I'm doing this. So the Lord's discipline, the Lord's divine redemptive discipline in our life can be a source of pressure. The redemptive disciplines of God target the believers, and they are an expression of his love. We always have to remember that. Now, the enemy's rage targets everybody. It targets everyone. God's discipline targets you and me. His discipline is focused on believers, and it's an expression of his love. Look at Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects or disciplines, just as the Father, the Son in whom he delights. Don't despise the correction. There are things in our life that need correction. And the pressure that God extends sometimes into our life, it's for our good. It's not to punish us. It's actually to, to bring correction and to remove everything in our life that hinders love. It's redemptive in nature. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, he chastens. 
He disciplines every son whom he receives. So when God, when, when God is the driver of pressure and he's disciplining us, again, it's not for punishment. It's not you did bad, therefore I'm going to make you feel pain. It's, hey, there's some things in your life that are keeping the love flow from flowing here. Because I don't want that for you. And the Hebrews passage says he disciplines the son whom he receives. Guys, God's pressure, God's redemptive discipline in our, in our lives is actually a certificate of sonship. It's like, oh, wait a minute. You, you're putting pressure on me? Oh, my gosh, that's right. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I'm one of yours. So we actually want God's discipline in our lives. Now, some pressures that we have and that we will experience on this earth, again, they don't come from Satan. Sometimes they're from the Lord. But the pressure of God's divine discipline always and only flows from his Father's heart of love. He disciplines the ones he loves. Now, when God disciplines... He always uses the least amount of pain and pressure necessary to produce the greatest amount of fruit. He doesn't have a heavy hand. He always uses the least amount of pressure that it's going to take to produce the greatest amount of fruit and heart connect in our lives. His discipline is there to help us break free of lethargy and compromise and sin and worldliness. God's redemptive discipline is always and only for our good, though there may be pain involved. So Satan rages, and we resist. Sometimes the pressure is from God in form of uh, redemptive discipline. What is our response? How do we respond when God is driving the pressure? When God disciplines and applies pressure to our lives, the response of our lives, the response of the church, is to submit. When Satan rages, we resist. When God disciplines, we submit. Hebrews 12, 10 and 11 says this, For they, speaking of earthly fathers, indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, the heavenly Father, disciplines us for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no discipline seems to be joyful for the present, but rather painful. Nevertheless, I'm glad that word's in there. Discipline's going to be painful. It could have stopped there, but it says nevertheless. But even so, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. In other words, those who have submitted to it. How many of you want... Peaceable fruit of righteousness. What a phrase. Just say that five times. The peaceable fruit of righteousness to be alive and awakened and growing in your life. This says the key to that is submitting to the pressure that God applies to. Submitting to the divine redemptive discipline of the Lord. So when God, again, disciplines, we submit. We must submit to his leadership Submit to his purposes, submit to his promises, submit to his word. And because God's correction is an expression of his love, and it's always for our good, then God's divine discipline should be humbly requested, readily received, and gratefully remembered. 
God's discipline should be humbly requested, readily received, and gratefully remembered. Why? Because it's for our good. It's good. I think of David, Psalm 139. David starts off Psalm 139, says, Lord, you have searched me, speaking past tense. You have searched me, and you know me. He says, you know my thoughts, the things that other people can't see. You know my, my coming and my going, my sitting down, my rising up. He says, you even know the words before they leave my lips. He goes, you know everything about me. That's pretty intense, right? I mean, I know there are some things in my own heart, in my own life, that's like, man, Lord, you see that? Ugh. How could you still love me? You see all those broken places in me? David said, Lord, you've seen all of it. You know me better than I know myself. And then David says this in Psalm 139. He goes, yet your thoughts about me are precious. Your thoughts about me. When you think about me, knowing what you know, you still love me. You still delight in me. You still think I'm awesome. And then David, because he, he's received that, the, the Lord looking and searching out all of the, the places in his heart, and he discovers that he's still enjoyed by God, even in the midst of that. Then at the end of Psalm 139, he says, Oh, Lord, search me and know me. He goes, man, the, the process of going through this discipline where, where you're pointing out some things in my life that I need to work on, and yet the love connection is still there, and you still love me, I still love you. He goes, that was so invigorating. Let's do that again. Search me again. I mean, it's like when I used to come home, and, and I would pick up uh, little Tirza back there. When she was two years old, she'd come running up to me, Daddy, Daddy, and I'd pick her up, and I'd throw her in the air, and she'd, whoa. You know, this exhilarating, ah, and I'd catch her in my arms, and she'd say, do it again. Again, Daddy. And so I'd throw her up, again, Daddy. There was this exhilaration in her heart says, I want to go through that again. That was a good process. That was a good experience for me. So David says, search me and know me. Try me and know all of my ways and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me out of that into the way of everlasting. That's David receiving, asking for the Lord's discipline. He's asking for it. Now, that's a weird thing to think. I don't know of any kid, any of us ever, that maybe, well, maybe one or two. My wife was perfect, so I think she might have done this. Who did something wrong that their parents didn't see and went to their parents and said, I need some discipline. I, I, I did what you asked me not to do. There's some issues of disobedience and rebellion in my life. Mommy, Daddy, could you come just, just help give me some correction? I, I don't know if anybody who's asked for that. But when it comes to the Lord, I think that's, that's where he wants us. He says, I don't want you to think of my discipline as punishment or I'm going to beat you over the head just because you do something wrong. He goes, my discipline is so that we can produce the peaceable fruit of righteousness in your life. So Satan rages, we resist. God disciplines, we submit. The next driver of pressure is man's sin. Man's sin. So not every crisis and pressure we experience on this earth, we experience in this life, is necessarily either an attack from the enemy. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's God bringing some discipline. Sometimes it's man's sin is the driver 
of pressure. Often the source of crisis in our lives is man's sin. Sin is toxic, and sin leads to death. So there are consequences to sin. Sometimes we're just living in the consequences of sin. We live in a sinful world, a fallen world, and sometimes the consequences are going to affect our lives. They're going to apply pressure to our lives. James 1.5 says, When the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Romans 6.23, we all know it. The wages of sin is... There are consequences to our sins. Man is sinful. Humanity is messed up. We do bad things. We make bad decisions. Can I get a witness? We make bad decisions, and there are consequences to those decisions, decisions that often bring crisis to our lives. But when man's sin is the source of pressure, what do we do? What's the response? Well, when man's sin is the source of pressure, the response is to repent. We repent. Acts 3, 19. Repent, therefore, and turn to God, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What a verse. Could anybody use a little time of refreshing in their lives right now? Man alive, I know I can. I mean, I just had my car broken into a few weeks ago with my laptop and my, my in-ears and stuff all stolen out of there. It's like, Lord, that just stinks. I don't like that. But we live in a fallen world. So when man's sin is the source of pressure, we should repent. And repenting of our sins leads to times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, according to Acts 3.19. Repentance involves this. Now, this is important because repentance as a response to our sin, repentance isn't just, I feel bad about what I did, my bad God. There's a little bit more involved in it. So I just want to, we're not going to take time on this, but I just want to highlight these things about repentance. Repentance involves acknowledging our sin. You got to call it what it is. You acknowledge your sin and you embrace God's kindness. Acknowledge the sin. Call it what it is. Lord, I sinned. I sinned against you. I did this thing I shouldn't have done. I didn't do this thing I should have done. Whatever it is. Then we embrace God's kindness. We run to the God of kindness, the God who delights in showing mercy. We run to him. And why, why do we do that? Because the Bible says that it's his kindness that leads us to what? Repentance. A lot of us, want to, we just jump straight to the repentance thing, but I believe actually embracing God's kindness. If I don't believe God is kind and merciful and good and likes me and loves me, then I'm probably not going to run to him as my first instinct when I mess up. The first instinct when I mess up, if I think he's angry and mad and he doesn't like showing mercy and he's not good, I just messed up. Uh-oh. Um... I'm going to go put myself in time out for a little bit, and then when he cools off, then I'll kind of. But when we stumble, when we sin, we, we acknowledge it, then we embrace his kindness. That looks like this, oh, God, I know you're kind. I know you're good. Your word says that you delight in showing mercy. 
You love me. You, you, you love showing mercy 70 times 7 over and over again. This is who you are. Your, your throne is covered by an emerald rainbow of mercy, and everything you do, goes, you see through that lens of the cross and the blood, oh, you are so good. Now I'm ready to run to him when I sin, right? So when we sin, we call it what it is. We embrace his kindness. Then we repent. We turn from that sin. Repent means to turn away and go the other direction. We turn from our sin. But most of us stop there. Most of us say, okay, I've done it. I've got the kindness thing Josh talked about. I did that. Okay, I got repent. Okay, I'll turn and I did that. But true repentance actually involves another couple of things. Number one, cleaning up the mess we made. Because our sin, again, has consequences, right? And so we got to work to clean that mess up. If I sinned against, you know, my daughter and spoke a harsh word or whatever, I can't just say, oh, Lord, I repent and, and let that harsh word dangle around in my girl's brain for a while. I got to go clean that up and say, hey, sweetheart, listen, what daddy did was not good. I've got to make that right. And then if we do that, most of us stop there. Guess what? There's one more thing we need to do. It's called push delete and run hard after God again. Because God pushes delete on that thing. We can't let that thing hang over our head and say, oh, but you do this to your daughter. You speak this way to your daughter. You're not a good dad. Well, I've repented of it, but if I don't push just delete on that thing and say, you know what? It's done. The Lord has washed me clean. I have cleaned up my mess. I push delete, and guess what? I'm right. I'm running hard with God again. I don't have to put myself in detention for a month or two. I'm ready to roll. Let's go, God. Let's go hard again. That's what true repentance looks like. So when our sin is the driver of pressure, our response is to repent. And number four, sometimes pressure that is applied to our lives or crisis that we experience is caused from earth's groan. Earth's groan. The earth is longing and waiting for the day that it will be made new. Sometimes pressures that we experience are not an attack from the enemy. They're not necessarily God's discipline or the result of our sin. Sometimes it's because the earth is groaning. Romans 8, 19 says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Romans 8, 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs. So whether it's a, an earthquake, a tornado, volcanic eruption, hurricane, anybody heard of those? Drought, famine, we had the tsunami, the big tsunami a couple of years ago. The earth can produce pressures and crisis in our life. Because the earth is not right right now. It's not right. The, the earth is saying, we want, to, we want to be made right. See, it wasn't just man that fell when, when, when man sinned. The, the earth is groaning. The earth, it's almost as it has a memory, and it's going, oh, I remember Eden. <laughs> Oh, I remember just the, the, the connection between God and man and spirit and matter. It was just this beautiful, oh, I want to get back there. 
And so the earth is just churning and groaning. It's longing to be made put right, to, to be right again, to be put right. And until then, it groans in anticipation. So when the earth groans, what is our response? When the earth groans, our response is to restore. To restore. When things decay, when things break, when things are torn down by a churning planet, we lock arms together in the love of the Lord and we work with one another to rebuild and renew and restore. So let's look at all four of those on the, the next slide here. I just wanted to put them all up here just so we kind of have them all in, in front of our face. There are four main drivers of pressure, four main drivers of crisis. Satan's rage, and when Satan rages, our response is to what? Resist. Sometimes it's God's discipline, and when God's discipline is the, the driving source of pressure, our response is to, you guys are doing great. Sometimes it's man's sin, and so our response to man's sin is to repent. Sometimes it's the earth's groan, and when earth's groan uh, is the driver of pressure, what do we do? We restore. You guys all get an A plus and a smiley face and a star. Good job. Now, I wish I could stand up here and say every time there's a crisis or a pressure, it is completely obvious. It's cut and dry. It's black and white. We know exactly which source of pressure that is. I wish I could say it was that easy. But sometimes, now listen to me, sometimes in a crisis, all four of these are present. All four of these can be present in a crisis. So let's just look at some of the current crisis as an example. There's all kinds of different things going on in the, in the earth today. Are some of these things driven by the enemy raging? Absolutely. And so we want to have that posture of resisting that posture of fighting, that posture of, of saying, no, we stand on the truth of the Lord and we're going to fight and resist the enemy. And when I say resist the enemy, I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about the spirit, the devil. A lot of us want to take up that positioning of fighting. Okay, I'm going to fight. And anybody who says a crossword to me or says something I don't agree with, I'm going to fight because, bless God, I'm going to fight for truth. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about standing against the enemy, the one who is trying to sow the strife. So in this current crisis, there's a lot of attacking of the enemy going on, and we need to fight him. We need to resist him. But can I tell you, there's a lot of things that are going on today in our world that I believe the Lord is actually touching on some things in our own lives that we need to come to, to grips with. The Lord is disciplining his church. He's waking us up to some things. And that submitting posture, um, just, just so grateful for Pastor Jeff and for Pastor Steve just over these last number of months, the way they've led with such humility and, and grace in the midst of this, because none of us have ever experienced this before. They've never had to lead us through anything like this before. And to see our pastor up here on his knees saying, Father, forgive us. Now, does that mean Jeff didn't think that some of this stuff is caused by the enemy? No, Jeff is, I mean, we've said the, the enemy's trying to attack us, let's fight. But there are also some things that the Lord is doing that he wants us to repent of. And sometimes we see some of the things on the news that go around with people, you know, fighting and, and stealing or whatever. And it's like, well, 
is that the enemy? Is that really God? Sometimes it's just, well, there's just fallen men. There's sin. There's, there's sinful people on this earth doing sinful things. Also with things such as a virus. Again, I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but the earth produces viruses. Earth produces sickness. Earth, there are things in the earth right now because the earth is not right that make us sick. So all of these things, you can see almost like a diamond. You can see little facets of all, of all of these things all going on at once. But the tempting thing is to, ca- to categorize these things so, so cleanly, just say, nope, I know I read the blog, and the blog said that this thing is from the enemy, so all we got to do is fight. Well, that's great. We do want to fight. But are there other things in there that we need to understand so that we fully understand what's going on so that we know how to respond? The answer is yes. It's not always just one of these things. So especially in this hour and in the first half of 2020, it's really, really important that we as a church understand what drives crisis, these drivers of pressure, like the sons of Issachar, says they understood the signs of the times. And it's also important that we know how to respond to those things. Because it says of them that they not only understood the signs of the times, they knew what Israel should do. There was action. So we have to understand the crisis so that we know how to respond to the crisis. The people of God... The church in this hour, we must have a humble spirit, a reaching heart, and a listening ear. Because I believe today the Lord is raising up a people who understand the signs of the times and how to respond with clarity and with strength, with boldness, courage, grace, and love. Amen? So, Lord... We just pray right now that you would stir up this sons, this sons of Issachar anointing. That we would be a people with understanding. We would walk in wisdom. That we would know how to respond. We would know how to, to act and to move in partnership with your spirit in this hour. Oh, Lord, we want to be the prophetic church. We want to be the church with insight. We want to be the church that stands in your counsel and hears your word. Lord, your word says you do nothing unless you first reveal it to your servants, the prophets. Lord, we want to be a people with a listening ear, with an open heart, with eyes to see you. Stir up the sons of Issachar anointing in our hearts, in our lives. Right, would you stand stand with me? We'll just, we'll stop there. We hope you've enjoyed this episode from Calvary Community Church podcast. For more content and information about Calvary Community Church, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com.